G'day, it's Reese Adams here. Welcome to the show that punches you in the face with information, but in a good way. It's the Enterprise Fitness Podcast, proudly brought to you by the good people at Enterprise Fitness. To transform your body, increase performance, or compete, make sure to speak to the great coaches at Enterprise Fitness. Email them today at info at enterprisefitness.com.au. Today's guest is Andre Benoit. I first met Andre when I did my PICP Level 1 with the Polican Strength Academy before they became Polican Group. Andre is a coach and educator, and what's most impressive is he has been getting people results for 27 plus years and growing the fellow minds of coaches to keep the standards of the fitness industry as high as possible. Andre started his career working alongside Charles Poliquin and now works from his own facility in Canada called the Canadian Centre for Strength and Conditioning. Andre has also been to the Olympics as an athlete in the sport of luge. To prove how awesome Andre is, this is his second time on our show. Jump onto the Enterprise Fitness website to check out the first one that he did with Mark Tobro. I could go on and on, but this show is about Andre, so I'll let him take over so we can get started. See you on the other side. Welcome, Andre. Hi. Thank you for taking the time away to come on the show today. No problems. A pleasure. Always good to talk to Australians. <laughs> How's the weather over in Canada? It's cold. It's, but today, actually, it's warm. It's minus 7. So, But we had a few days last week. It was minus 20, minus 15. So. Yeah, that's better than Christian. Christian was saying it was minus 21 where he is. Yeah, I know Montreal is, they, but they had a late winter. They had, we started our winter a little bit earlier than there they did, but uh, so that's why they're paying for it. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. So Andre, can you please just give us a brief insight into your enormously prosperous coaching career? Oof. Uh, okay, I started, uh, Okay, so you want to start me to start when I was an athlete or the first day I became a strength coach? Let's go from strength coach. Okay, so strength coach, I became a strength coach in 1989, uh, basically to help out Charles Poliquin. Uh, that's how I started this career because before that I was uh, studying to, uh, doing my phys ed degree and I was studying to be a pilot. And uh, Charles uh, had a lot of work to do and he... I asked him, I said, uh, you should maybe hire an assistant. And he goes, well, who wants, who would like to do this with me? I said, well, I'll do it. And then I became his assistant. <clears throat> Sorry. And then um, my first, so I learned to, you know, coach with him and he was doing all the programs. I would be coaching his programs. And then uh, my first team that I had was the national, uh, the junior Alberta junior national uh, yeah, Alpine ski team. Uh, the downhill guys, and uh, so I would be writing programs. Charles would be looking at them, and um, I would correct them most of the time. And then I would just coach the coach the kids and this on the team. And I was still an athlete then, so I would do coaching and also training for myself. So it was a good, really good learning process because I was able to learn from Charles as an athlete, and I was able to apply what I was doing practically with him. And I was able to translate that to some of the programs I would be writing to the for the Alpine ski team guys, and then I went on. I moved on to do um, the the Nordic Combine, 
uh, team that was on my own. And then I would assist Charles always throughout those years with coaching. He would be having like NHL player guys, so like a big, big names like Al McInnes and Gary Roberts, and I would be helping him out. And then slowly I started having my own my own niche or my own clientele of hockey players, and then uh, not necessarily NHL guys, but guys that would be on the what we call here the farm team, so the the teams that would feed the NHL uh, teams. And then I had a whole bunch of – I had um, the uh, amateur sport. I would have luge, bobsleigh, skeleton, uh, some speed skaters, a female speed skating team. I would come to me. Uh, I would coach them and then went on to my own NHL players then after that, like Eric Brewer and Wayne Redden and so on. And so on. I know they're not really well known in Australia, but in Canada they're fairly well known. Uh, and, uh, then with some, uh, through Charles, I got some NFL football guys, uh, some Canadian football league, uh, athletes, uh, some pole vaulters uh, that was on my own pole vaulters and some uh, track and field athlete and so on. So I had a big diversity. I had, funny enough, I had my, so I started coaching in 1989 and I had my first general population client in um, 1993 and uh, actually my first general population client I totally destroyed I remember, I thought, I remember you saying that <laughs> yeah and, and I and I toned my the, the program I was designing was I really toned it down but even for this lady she was uh, brand new never was introduced to training and I she was like stuff like I did well I'll just do three sets of 10 to 12 reps split squats and stuff like that and she was so sore, she missed two days of work. She called me crying the next day, which I felt so bad. Obviously, I didn't charge her uh, any money. <laughs> but uh, that's how I started. I started right away with high-performance athlete, which was good. But at the same time, with the general population, I had to learn to really adopt a different philosophy and see things differently with, with them than I would. I would use the same principles, but I had, would have to adapt a lot of it to fit the general population uh, clientele for sure. Yeah, yeah, and then after that, I, I went to teaching with, for Charles in 2007. I kind of quit coaching, and I started again in 2012 when I resigned from the uh, with the, with Charles with the Polychron uh, Institute. Then, and then I came back to coaching, uh, writing programs and stuff with general population, some athletes, and it's a huge change from 2007 to 2012. Uh, so there's a massive change in uh, the, the general population clientele, especially with young athletes. Um, not in a good way, actually. Andre, they were. Yep. What were you doing in that that time that you had off? Off from well, I was basically I was uh, I helped Charles. Charles called me with uh, Caroline then, and they called me to structure their restructure their classes from level one PICP to level four. And I did that with John Connor and Owen Lacey. And uh, basically, and then I started teaching. So I was basically teaching almost all the time. I had some clients, but nothing major here back home uh, that I would write program for. So, but basically I was teaching the different principles, the polycrine principles. So everything that uh, people would read on the, that Charles wrote about and so on. I would be teaching that with uh, different other teachers, like like I said, John Connor. That's well, that was a group we started with, John Connor and Owen Lacey. 
and other people came in afterwards, but that's what I, I was doing basically. Yeah. Did you find being an athlete yourself, it, it complemented your ability to coach? Did you find that? Oh, I, yeah, definitely. For sure. I always tell when I teach around the world, I always say to people, I said, my biggest advantage, yes, I had Charles, which was, he was a, a great mentor. Um, but you know, the biggest advantage I had is that he made me, or uh, the whole team, but he, for me, I, I was able to be exposed to a whole bunch of different, uh, very, very good training systems. And most of them were from the Eastern Bloc that Charles, in the 80s, was able to get a hold of, uh, either because of his travels or talking to people and connecting with people around the world. And all these East, Eastern Bloc training systems or European, what I call European training system, were all of a sudden became available to us, unknowingly to us. Like I didn't know they were from the Eastern Blocs, except if the system was called, like, for example, the Bulgarian system or the uh, Romanian system, stuff like that. <clears throat> then you kind of knew it was from the Eastern Bloc. But other than that, it was uh, for us, Charles put um, the training system with uh, mode A, mode B, mode C, mode D, and so on. But all these different training systems I was exposed to, so I was able to experience it myself as an athlete. Uh, I was able to see how it feels to do them properly. And then when I would be writing programs, then I was able to, as I was writing the program on a piece of paper, I was able to visualize the person who was going to do them, and I would say, oh, no, you know what, this is, they're going to die. There's no way they're going to benefit from this program. It's way too hard. So I would either modify it or change it, use a different system that would be more appropriate for that athlete or that client. And that was, I, I thought, I think this is a huge advantage I had. Um, if you look at other coaches out there that have not had the chance to be exposed to so many different, I would call them high level training system. Yeah, the the system that Charles put you on, cluster training, that would have been a wake up call for you. Oh yeah, well that's just one, but that and that's the one that we always talk about because for us in the uh like we weren't the only one who did it, like the Luge team we did it for sure, but also the ball I remember the ball say guys doing the same same thing that would be modified as far as the exercise selection would be more suitable for them. Uh, to some extent, but uh, definitely the cluster training was an eye-opener as far as uh, how much, if you push yourself really, really hard, how much of the tax, how much taxing it can have to your nervous system. Like, it was pretty incredible. Also, I must say that we did it a little bit too long, but we had the time to recover from it, so that was not so bad. But it was, uh, the cluster training is is uh yeah it was a good eye-opener for us for sure <laughs> especially with uh it was the first time we ever never ever done something so hard so yeah how long did in you respect in respect to relative strength training i mean he made us do some other crazy workout for hypertrophy and like i remember being this one time i called him because i said charles i've been severely sore for 14 days it's and he started laughing and I go, I don't, and I think it was funny because it, like, it was like massively sore. Like I had every morning I had problem getting out of bed, but that's how hard uh, he taught us to push ourselves. And that's another thing also that I must say that he, 
he really pushed on it's having good ethic in the gym. Like you get in, you train hard and you get out. There's no music. There's no mirror. There's no time to start posing. Uh, you get in there, give your hardest and get out. It was a- uh, and then if you, in those days, if you looked at him train, like he was, he was working hard also. Like he was not like, uh, uh, lazy in the gym at all so he was working really hard too so he never asked for us what he didn't ask for himself so it was around that stage when he got you to start using was it protein powder or supplements <laughs> to recover uh, yeah uh, <laughs> yeah so in 1990 1990 actually um like i was tired and i was doing a lot of stuff so yeah i have to understand in canada and was Basically, probably the same, very similar in Australia, but there's no, uh, we don't have much support. So I was doing my university full time in the summer. I was uh, working to be able to afford to slide, and I was training full time to be able to make the standards and be you no know, stop in the world. So there's a lot. Anyway, I was tired, and um, so I would train. I would have results, but then one time, like I was saying to Charles, I'm like, "Frick, I'm done." Like he goes, "Okay." Come in my office, so we go in his office, and he said he made a shake, like a pro, um, carb shake. And then in those days, you have to understand that that's like that's post Ben Johnson. And Ben Johnson, you, everybody knows he got cut for steroids, and he was, you know, Canadian. So we were tested like every freaking month almost. Not, not a word of exaggeration, like we were tested a lot. And I was, they had this big, this huge uh, ca- uh, fear campaign going on about saying that if you take protein shake, you you might test positive, and if you take creatine, for sure you test positive. And so I wasn't taking anything because everybody was scared we we're going to test positive on anything. So uh, they even told us like if you have too much coffee, you'll test positive. So I was like, holy crap! So anyway, yeah, it was pretty funny. And uh, this one, anyway, so I was dead and Charles says, drink this uh, drink. And I said, well, no, I'm scared. <laughs> I don't want to test positive. And then he got so angry. And that's one, that's the first time I saw really, Charles really angry at me. He goes, and he got his fist close to my, like maybe a, two feet from my face. He goes, if you don't drink this fucking karma, I'm going to beat you up right now. So drink that thing and shut up. So I, <laughs> I grabbed the, and he meant it like I, Maybe he wasn't going to beat me up, but he was getting angry. So I drank the shake. And then for two weeks, I was like, I'm going to test positive. And obviously, I didn't test positive because it was uh, Northern Lights uh, carb shake. And if anybody out there knows what Northern Light used to take, like, taste like, it was like cardboard. It was horrible. But anyway, so uh, it actually did. And the second time Charles almost kicked my ass was the next day after I had my shake. I went to, uh, to training and I go, man, I feel pretty good. And Charles like, oh, he goes, now you have to have a shake after every workout. So he thought that I was taking one after every workout, but I would be taking one every once in a while because I was, again, the fear factor of testing positive, you know. So um, it was pretty, yeah, that's the day I first had my first, uh, well, that's not true. I had a protein shake before. My first protein shake was uh, dried skim milk. So, uh, yeah, that's, that's what it was, <laughs> but that was in 1980, uh, so it would be 89, 90, yeah, 1990. I had my first protein shake with my dried skin milk. So it was pretty funny. If you look at where the supplementation system is now or the market, it's, it's just crazy. Like I look at it now, I was like, holy moly, this is so far 
ahead and beyond what we had. It's pretty pretty funny. After doing your course, you only recommend very basic supplements. Um, and yeah. We found them to, to definitely work while we did your – it was four days, wasn't it? Four-day yeah. hypertrophy academy. You've, yeah. got, you've got to get the basics right, don't you? Yeah, and uh, for me, I always say that uh, your multivitamin, your <clears throat> omega-3 – D3, uh, that's your basics. You, you can't, uh, and I'm starting now, even iodine, I'm starting to look at it even more because it's where everybody's lacking in iodine, but you got to get good, good iodine for sure. Um, <clears throat> but for sure, that omega 3, a, a good multivitamin, omega 3 and D3 would be, uh, for me, that's part of nutrition actually. It's no more uh, supplement. Is there anything that you look for in particular when giving iodine? Is there any like telltale signs that someone needs it? Well, no, that's the problem. Like I don't have the test. Uh, I mean, I, I do work here with a naturopath who's ex really there. It's with the Paradigm Group. It's uh, a place here in Calgary. He's really, really good, and um, so I do work with them, and they do the blood test and everything, and they can figure it out. But from as a gym owner only, like he, it's really difficult. That's why I don't talk too much about it because. You still have to be careful. You cannot really prescribe iodine. Like it's, you got to be careful how much you take, obviously. So, but if you have a, like I said, for me with my naturopath, if if there's any, ever a question, I send them there, and then they can actually tell them how many drops a day you should be taking and so on. Yeah. But everybody, like, if you talk to naturopath around the world, they'll they'll tell you it's everybody's lacking in iodine now. So and iodine is the number one thing to help you uh, deal with radiation. Not that we are always walking uh, in radiation, but for me, for example, I fly a lot, so I know I'm a little bit more radioactive than I should be, and I should be taking it uh, more consistently for sure. Yeah, that, that's a, a few good tips there. You were given the nickname the Flying Squirrel. Can you tell us a bit about that? Flying Squirrel. Yeah. Okay, that happened. So uh, in 1990, in the 1991, 92, we were getting, some of us were getting really strong at doing chin-up because we believed there was a huge correlation between a wide grip chin-up and a good start. So uh, we're getting pretty efficient at doing them. So, um, for example, in testing, I did uh, 123 pounds, 123.7 pounds for one rep wide grip chin above the bar um and uh my lats were pretty in those days my lats were pretty significantly significant as far as the size and one day i was having a massage with patrick anderson was a team massage therapist and um charles came in and then i was on the table and then patrick was massaging me and then charles says fuck andre goes what are those i said what What? what's wrong he goes those lats are way bigger there than because you got huge lats. I'm like, yeah, they're, they're okay, I guess. I don't know. Like, I never really paid attention to them. And then Patrick Anderson was there, and he's massaging me. He goes, yeah, he goes, he's like a freaking uh, like flying squirrel. And then Charles says, yeah, you're the flying squirrel. That's how it all happened. So <laughs> Charles, uh, the routine we had, he had us do for uh, <clears throat> giving our um, chin-ups, uh, no, a lot of strength in our pronated chin-ups. He, this routine he called the Andre Benoit, the Andre Flying Squirrel uh, routine. So that's where it came from. 
Can you give us an idea of what that workout kind of looked like or the progressions? Yeah, some people think it's like a 16-week 16 16-week 16 workout, but it actually was 32 weeks. So it's basically two seasons it took us to uh, – well, it took me anyway to get to that strength. And it's – to remember all of them, to be honest, I wouldn't – it's somewhere in my notes downstairs, but uh, I don't remember everything. But definitely cluster was – so that let's say if we take the 16 weeks prior to where I did my uh, 123 0.7 pounds chin up. Uh, and in training, actually, there was this guy also named Harrington Telford. And he was a teammate of mine. And both of us would be fighting each other. So at one point, he was doing the best. And then I beat him and so on. But in training, both Harrington and I, we went up to 130 pounds. Uh, it was a rep and a half, if you want. Uh, but I don't talk too much about it because it's not recorded. So, But we did. Uh, Harrington was also very, very strong in the chin-up. And uh, that's at a weight. Uh, our body weight was 78 kilos, which was <clears throat> pretty good uh, relative strength. And um, the, we had, a, for example, that summer, we did a general preparation, uh, which was uh, uh, what I would call more of an accumulation one. So... We didn't do too much. A, a true general preparation for us was uh, you do some corrective exercise and then you do your hypertrophy or whatever. You have a high rep uh, uh, training uh, regime. And then so we did the first phase that when we came back, we did a accumulation phase. So it was mostly hypertrophy. And if I remember well, it was a basic uh, phase. It was we started the first week. The rep range was 12 to 14. Then we went 11 to 13, the second rotation or the second week, and so on like that. So four weeks like this will always go down two reps per week. And then uh, we did the cluster training after that, which actually destroyed us. And um, we the workout, the phase after the, the uh, cluster, I don't remember too well because my brain was still mashed by the cluster training. But it was, again, a, a pretty standard, if I remember well, again, a pretty standard hypertrophy phase. And then we did um, a pyramid before testing camp. So it was a 5-3-1 five, three, five, three, workout, the phase before, with a proper, obviously a proper uh, paper just before the the camp. That's what allowed us to have a peak at camp, and then we went for this. We went again after the camp was done, and we went back to um, functional hypertrophy kind of phase, and then went on the road and started competing. And that's when we had our best. That was the Olympic year, so 1990, end of 1991, and then February was the, the Olympics in 1992. And but if you look at the year, so two years prior to that, we had uh, Charles made us do stuff like uh, a lot of thirty zero one tempo for the chin ups. Either uh, was and then change grips, um, some crazy workouts. Like I don't remember every single workout, but I remember the thirty zero one. And we even had one time he made us do uh, that was not the full phase, but it was like a, just for a challenge. I guess, I guess or. He made us do. I remember that the first workout back from uh, the off season. There, that the, the me was school. So after it was month of May, we he made us do just for fun thirty zero thirty one rep for chin ups. How many did you was, get? 
one. <laughs> because then if you can do one, then you have to add what we call the Kleenex weight. So we had these small plates, like mini plates that we put in our pockets. And he made us do – I think he made us do this for two, two weeks in a row or something like that. And then we, went, we, we moved on. Uh, but, you know, I, it, it was crazy. I, I don't know if I, if I would ever put anybody through that nowadays, but you know, you can't, I can't really complain about it because he brought us from being Bob and I, my doubles partner, Bob Gasper, and myself, we were maybe 15th, 16th, or 18th in the world on the start, and he brought us to the fastest in the world in four years. So some of the stuff I think he... He's starting to admitting it now. It's like I know in '88, when he first came with us, I think he tested a, uh, he tested a few different uh, uh, finding that he, he found himself, and then he I think we're his guinea pigs to some extent, but never to never to um, uh, compromise our result though. Yeah. The athlete, you've always got to protect the athlete because a good coach is one that doesn't get their athletes injured. Yeah, and he was actually, and when he got me anyway, I had a serious injury in my shoulder and a serious injury in my uh, in my low back. I had a, <clears throat> some people might know this already, but I broke my back when I was 12 years old. And now I say broke my back is my two transverse process. I fell down the stairs and I broke the two transverse process on my L4. And it pushed a vertebrate when one shot, very acute, like the vertebrate 20, approximately 25%, 24% forward, uh, the spondylolisthesis. And uh, they want, my doctors at the time, well, the team doctors wanted to operate and, and fuse my vertebrates. And they wanted to operate my shoulder because they said all my ligament were lax and my, that's why my shoulder was painful, I had chronic pain, and it was because it was not properly set in the socket and then uh, Charles came uh, and did some t evaluation on us very basic and uh, after a month my shoulder pain was completely gone and after eight to nine weeks my back was almost 100% what kind of and work did he do with you for my back yeah so that was an idiot oh, a lot of <clears throat> sorry static stuff like uh, back extension static and then very uh, even started us a lot with split squats and stuff like that. And he, I know for me, he gave me deadlifts, but very light and I had to have perfect form. And then I went to the deadlift to the squats, but uh, I had absolutely, he was very, very picky on my form. I could not deviate at all. Um, and uh, so it just, and then good mornings. Once I could do, I could do my uh, basic uh, back extension stuff. He put me on the seated good mornings, standing good mornings. Again, always making sure that my form was perfect. It was really well. It was hard on hard on all of us to have good form, to be honest. But me, he always made sure that I was aware that I had to have absolute perfect form on the squats and the deadlift, so I wouldn't re-injure my back. And by doing what he said, again, I don't remember every single workout but uh, or phases, but doing what he said, I, my, within like, like nine weeks, I was eight to nine weeks, I was fine. I could deadlift heavy again. And uh, so uh, that's basically what it was. How's your back now? Working, 
Pardon me? How's your back now? It's good, actually. Uh, so I started this in 88. I had x-ray on my back, and they, that's when the doctors told me, uh, you broke your back, and we, they, they told me, they said you lied to us when you made the national team in 84. You had a broken back, never told us, which I did not know because I fell down the stairs a few times. And I, but I remember at 12 years old, I had a problem walking. It was very painful, but I didn't go to the hospital because whatever, you're 12. And but anyway, my mom was tired of going to the hospital with me. But uh, long story short, 15 years after I met Charles, I had to do a ne- another x-ray for my hip. Just to, I just wanted to check my bone. And um, I asked the doctor, I said, how's my spondylolisthesis? He goes, what spondylolisthesis? I said, well, I have a spondylolisthesis. He goes, no. So I, we looked, and actually, with all the years of training, my spondylolisthesis reverted back to about five, 3 to 5%. He goes, but that's, not, that's nothing. Like, that's nothing. A lot of people have that all their life. They have no clue. And then, and, I, and then he saw that my process were, whatever, crooked. They're not back in their place. And he goes, oh, and then I asked, I told him about the me falling down the stairs and so on. He goes, oh, that's pretty impressive. So, but that's all training. But it took over many, 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 many years, you know. So, yeah, for- uh, now my back is actually good. If I, for me, the trick is I have to squat. If I stop squatting, I'm screwed. Even if it's just body squat, if I really, if I'm too long without squatting at all. My back, then I feel my back. So I have to make sure my strength is good on my uh, posterior chain and my rectus spinae's and my hips are, my hip flexors are, you know, flexible, not too tight and so on. Yeah, yeah. I know how you feel because I've got a herniated disc myself, so I have to be extra cautious when doing lifts. You can't get away with anything. I, I watch some people no. lift and I'm like, how do you, how do you not hurt yourself doing that? <laughs> yeah. Uh, same thing with me. I'll see people in the gym doing squats, like a, what Owen Lacey like to call a pole, uh, a pole dancing squat, and uh, where they bend forward a lot and they come back with a rounded, they come up with a rounded back. And I was like, if I would do that, I'd be on the floor in pain. Like there's no way I could get away with that. Yeah. So, yeah, yeah. I'm the same. So my boss, yeah. Mark Tobro. He works with you. He's uh, been trained by you multiple times now. Um, yeah. Basically, when he works with you, he feels great and doesn't get injured. Why do you think that is? Well, uh, uh, maybe because he listens to me, <laughs> uh, number one. Um, but I think it's – that's a good question. Like uh, – I like to go heavy, but again, I'm very, very picky with form, and I always ask Mark to make sure. And I, I, he's pretty good too because he does listen to me. So one of the reasons why he does not get injured so much is because he listens to what I say. And then when I say you have to have good form, if you have more than two reps in a row where you have bad form, you got to stop it because then the weight is not – it's too much for what your muscle can recruit. So – might as well <clears throat> change, uh, uh, stop the exercise and uh, take your rest and do the next set. Uh, and I always, I try to do exercises that are outside what he's accustomed to so that you train the muscle in a, in a different manner, different angle, 
And I think it's, it creates good balance. Uh, again, there's no research on this, uh, but I've, I, again, see that I lived what it was to have a serious injury, uh, my shoulders and my, on my back. And I lived how to, uh, strengthen it properly and being pain free. So because of that, I'm like, I'm, there's some exercise I don't like to do too much or too heavy on, until you're ready to do them. Okay. When I teach my classes, I always said the first thing you have to do is learn the movement and then you can load the movement. Otherwise, if you load it without not being able to execute it properly, then you are asking for, uh, for injury. So when I design my programs, I make it so that, uh, I, I, um, I don't risk injuries for nothing. Yeah. Uh, now, having said that, does it mean that I don't load? I don't believe in lifting heavy. No, I just believe lifting heavy with good technique. Yeah, and there's a time and a place. Yeah, exactly. So, uh, do I go crazy if you do one really bad rep? No, the body can take one really bad rep in most cases without any problem. It's when you do four or five really bad rep over the full phase and then the phase after that and then the phase after that that's when you create a you create a nest or you you're investing in an injury because your body can only do so many bad reps without uh creating some trauma or inflammation and so on so um that so you know don't get me wrong i do believe you have to and then you have to expose the body to a heavy load once in a while if you want to get better it has to be heavy yeah. so but not to the cost of health. That's, uh, um, that's I think, a big belief. I think a, a good tip is the difference between uh, training and performing. Yeah. Yeah. But what does that mean for you, though? So performing would be like uh, doing a wonder at max or, or um, going to failure, complete failure, where, where the, the exercise becomes sloppy. Yeah, but that, uh, but I still okay. Uh, but okay, so when I write my programs, I write them so that you can perform in such a manner once in a while. So for me, I write the program so that Mark, uh, even though he has some some uh, some issues here and there, that eventually if he we can go, let's say he says I want to go to a powerlifting competition or I want to be able to do without going to a competition, I want to be able to do the heaviest freaking squat ever. Well, then I can. I, the way I train him is that he will be able to do it once in a while. It's the same thing as anything else. He can only peak so many times. You cannot go for a true one RM, full out, full exhaustion every single workout. Ain't gonna happen. Whereas athletes, once a week they'll perform. There's a big difference between when they train during the week and then perform okay, on the they weekend. Perform, okay, they perform in their sport or they perform in the gym. I'm talking about performing the sport, but I, I yeah. think it, it has some um, applicability. Uh, for, okay, so what do you mean applicability? In the weight room or in, on the field? No, just it, it has uh, relevance, meaning that um, oh. it's performing in general. Yeah, I mean, you do. Yeah, exactly. So, you, you, okay, so I get what you mean now. Sorry. Uh, okay. So, yeah, you, you have to perform once in a while for sure. Uh, but uh, performing... As an athlete, um, uh, for example, in luge, if you take luge, for example, the, the heaviest thing we 
we do in a, in a, beside crashing. But the heaviest thing we do when we do sliding, it's a start. So it's, we, it's a 100% effort, but the load is minimal to what we're used to do in, in a gym. Uh, so that's why the, the performance on the field can, uh, full out performance can be repeated a bit more often than a, per, a full out performance in a gym. Again, and unless you're an Olympic lifter and a power lifter, then that's totally different. That's two beasts that are different than any other sports in the world because Olympic lifting and powerlifting, you train the exact same way as you compete. You know what I mean? Yeah, you, you train heavy quite often and frequently. Yeah. So then it, it becomes a bit more – that's why I really respect Olympic lifting coaches because you really have to be on the ball to be able to create the maximum amount of strength the way they do. Like you have to be really, really, really good at, at, your, at your business. I mean, that's why Olympic lifting coaches are – and then if you look at a lot of the training systems are from Olympic lifting systems for strength, for example. That's interesting. Yeah, maybe I went off a bit of off topic here, but I think it is interesting. <laughs> so there's probably some coaches listening. Um, so I've got a question for you in regards to if you were to hire someone or a coach, what would you look for in them? So what what, what would you say you look for in a, a good coach? Ooh, uh, boy, it's a, there's a few things. Um, Number one, I, I like coaches that are very confident, but not uh, too cocky. Like not to the point where they, they make other people feel like idiots. Uh, <laughs> I mean, you can have success with that. But for me in my gym, right, I'm talking about my gym now. If you tell me for uh, elite athletes and Olympic athletes, then it's different. But for a gym that I own now, I want someone that is – you know, very knowledgeable or not not very knowledgeable because I can help with that. But someone who's confident and in what they know, and they can also communicate to the person what they want them to do. Communication is very important, especially with your a public gym, because you have to. It's it's all about education. So if you have someone who can educate the client, even though they're not as knowledgeable as some other coaches uh you can have like i've had teachers are excellent researchers but man they're horrible teachers and it's you need a teacher and somewhat of a teacher in a weight room um so you have to be able to communicate to educate your client and uh, the other thing also is how much exposure they had to training that's very important um so it's because that's for me it was a very important aspect of my success because I was exposed to a lot of different uh, training systems, like I said earlier. Now, I don't, ex- I don't expect them to have uh, done as much as I did, but I always look for someone who has the biggest um, pool of training system in his background that they did themselves. So I like people that if they apply, if they come in and they go, well, you know, I did uh, a few months with um, – whatever, Ed Cohen, and then I did another few months, not uh, um, necessarily uh, internship, but being trained. So Ed Cohen wrote programs for you or 
John Med like John Meadows is one guy like I saw at the Swiss seminar this year is I really love the way he, he looks at programming and program design. Like I really like his his uh his approach. So stuff like that. <clears throat> no, I'm not saying that John Meadows would apply for my gym, but um if you if you if you're a coach that has been trained by John Meadows, then that's a big plus for me. Uh, if you're a coach that was if you had a few guys, they had program written for them by John Connor and Owen Lacey. That's also a huge help because I, I really respect them as uh, uh, coaches. So people like that, like um, if you if you're able to to sit down and do what other people ask you to do, even if they're wrong, even if it's program, you're like, holy, this is horrible. Well, you, I've trained. Another strength that I have is that from 1984, 1988, I was trained not necessarily the right way. There was a lot of stuff we did that was wrong. Now, at the time, I was angry. But in hindsight, when Charles came in and then also we did all the stuff that was really, really good, I was able to appreciate more the difference between training with different systems that are not really efficient for your sport or yourself. Therefore, creating discomfort, not necessarily pain or injuries, but discomfort and then not having the results you want, not being as strong as you want. And then not being so and then you go with Charles and then all of a sudden, frick, everything happens the way you thought it should have. And then so you makes you appreciate a bit more. So it's I think it's good once in a while to do some to see some bad programming. So you understand, Okay, now, you know what? I know the difference how it feels to train properly and how it feels to train the wrong way. And I remember I told you a comment in, in uh, Australia and it kind of marked you a little bit when I said, okay, Reese, stop using, we were maybe in the, I think you were doing the B exercises. It was eight sets and you were at set number six and then you were, you were doing your squat and I said, okay, Reese, stop using your warm up weight and do, <laughs> lift some weights and then, only years later, I see this comment on Facebook saying that totally destroyed me, but I, I know what you meant. So <laughs> it's not that you were training bad, but once you've increased your weight because all of a sudden you have this guy telling you you can lift heavier, you did it, and what happened? Yeah, in, in your defense, I put 20 kilos extra on the bar my next set. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And uh, that's I think, something that, uh, not, and that's not that you were trained wrong. Is that you didn't, you were, you were not exposed to someone. Like for me, I was pushed to my limit, and I know the signs of being pushed to the limit. And I saw you, and I said, he is, he thinks he's pushing himself <laughs> because his level of exertion is here, his perception, his perceptive uh, exertion is here, but it's way above where he's at. I think and that then, was on the last day of the. Of the yeah. camp, so yeah, I, I was just um, being cautious. But there's a time to be cautious and a time to get results. <laughs> yeah, but you also you were also coming up like you were four seconds down, and you were still coming up on a one second tempo on the way up. So I was like, man, there's no way like you should be doing at least two or three seconds <laughs> because it's you know you have to struggle. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah. Okay, so my point with this is that you. Uh, you you appreciate now and then for sure when you coach people you're saying to yourself no 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 this guy is he's slacking off like he's not pushing the way he should be pushing I might be wrong but I'm pretty sure you're you should be good at detecting that now yeah <laughs> no yeah. 
Yeah. If you train hard enough yourself, you can see it in other people because you've experienced it. Yeah. That's, so that's why the bad training I had from 84 to 88 was actually somewhat of a good thing in, in the long run. Yes. What goes through your head uh, when you sit down to write a, a program for a client or athlete, Andre? What's the first thing that goes through your head? Uh, well, I always – I'll look at uh, the weakest point. So I have my own little uh, screening. It's not a, it's a, it's not a quantitative, quantitative um, screening. It's a quali- qualitative. So it's all movement pattern based. And from that, I, can, I look at what the weakest uh, factor is. And then by working that factor, I know that everything else would come up. So I like to target the weakest factor and the other strength, flexibility, uh, adhesions, whatever. I work on that. And then one that is, that's solved, then I look at what is now the new weakest link, and then I go on from there. So my first, when I have a client, I will, the first thing I'll do is I'll look at what they have done the most, the three months prior. And then uh, in training phase and exercises, and then I will uh, basically uh, work their strength or work on the weakest link with methods or systems or movement that they have done rarely or they tend to stay away from. Uh, Again, it's just to shock the system or expose the body to a different stimulus to create the better result as quick as possible. I don't know if it makes sense. I know sometimes it makes sense. My wife tells me this sometimes that it's not because it makes sense in my head that it makes sense to people. (laughs) So I hope I explain explains properly, but that's how I look at it. No, that makes complete sense. How often would you say that you, that you uh, retest or like do someone's structural balance again after the, the initial session uh every single if you want to put it to the extreme every single set is a test okay so you're always analyzing absolutely yeah because then what i use i use i can i always use exercises that you will be weak in so a lot of guys they hate it because all of a sudden they used to do uh you know whatever so much weight and then also they do a similar movement with a bit of a adaptation to it and they're using 40% of that weight they used to have. And they go crazy. And then, But they get more sore. They get more. And then, therefore, it, most of the time with this, what happens is that they, it, like I said, I target or I force the body to do the, the movement with the proper load, always the proper load with proper technique, that forces adapt, a different adaptation. So um, that's why I... You know, they all of a sudden they get results that they never had before, and they get soreness, and they go, "I can't." I, but a lot of time, I'll get emails or phone calls or text saying, "I feels like I feel like such such a weakling because I'm using half of what I used to do." So, well, yeah, but you now you're creating maybe eighty percent more training results than you used to in the past because now you're doing either a full range of motion or proper technique so yeah gotta check the ego at the door yeah most of the time yeah 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 i've got a question here from adam glossop what do you do differently when training for females compared to males 
when you're doing their programming? How would how would you program? Program. I don't do much much difference. If uh, programming, if it's a new, brand new female, never trained in her life ever, uh, I will do probably more. And if you have her counterpart, like a twin male she might do a bit more reps at the beginning than her twin brother for the same, let's say they have the exact same weaknesses or whatever, structural balance, whatever you, you want. Uh, she'll probably do a bit more reps because they respond better to it. Yep. But after a few months, like I would say Wednesday, well, whatever, eight months or depending how often they train, but let's say eight months, nine months or a year, not even a year, like it would be probably around eight months yet. Then they, the rep range becomes the same. That I learned that from Charles, actually. <clears throat> he showed it to me. Like it was really interesting. But the rep range becomes the same. What changes is how I talk to some female and some male because uh, you cannot be as... Uh, in, with, okay, I don't want to generalize here, but in most cases... With a beginner female, is that you cannot be as direct or as uh, as rough on the edge if you want, as with a male in general. And it's not because they're weaker; they just they just respond better. Because I've had I have women that look as uh, you know I would say, "Holy cow, this is weak," but they get super strong, and it's just uh, I always adapt my coaching style to the person. Like not everybody, like for example, Charles never screamed at me. Because he knew that if he scream, I don't respond well to be screamed at. Uh, and then he was always talking to me. He knew to for me, if he wanted me to train well, he had to say, "Hey, hey, hey, Andre, just focus. Let's go. You can do this." And then I would do it. But uh, like we had a group of four when I was training in Luge. It was uh, myself, Harrington Telford, Bob Gasper, my doubles partner, and then Dan Dahl was another guy. <clears throat> We always trained together, and he never screamed at us because we did our work. But some of the people on the team, though, he was, he would scream. But some people like to be screamed at or talked, you know. Yeah, you need to to yeah. get get that understanding of your client of what what basically drives them. And when I say okay, I just want to make something clear. When I say screaming, I'm not saying like screaming obscenities. It's just talking loud and <clears throat> uh, stuff like that. So. Yeah, some people like to G themselves up, whereas others like to stay calm. It just depends yeah. on the person. Yeah. It just, uh, you have to adapt to whatever whatever motivates your client to yeah. do better. How many extra reps would you say that you'd start the female with compared to her, her twin? Oh, anywhere from 6 to 12. Extra? Yeah. Or, okay. But 12, that's, that's an extreme. Okay, so... But at the same time, if the twin brother does 12 reps, I'm not going to do – I'll rarely do 24 with the female. I would do more like around 18 to 20. Okay. It's just that they they have a – and they have a way better capacity or – yeah, to handle lactic acid female. And that's the vast majority than we do. Yeah. Uh, yeah. A whole bunch of different reasons. Anywhere from the muscle mass that – the, the male to female to well they're designed to give birth so <laughs> they're they're nobody give birth it's like uh, I never gave birth to anybody anyone and I'll never do hopefully but uh, it's a huge contraction if you look at the contraction they have 
if we were to have that, we would be crying within probably maybe 20 seconds. <laughs> I could be in pain. Like, okay, it would be horrible because we don't have the capacity to handle that. Yeah, yeah. So maybe I made some, uh, a lot of female out there saying, no, oh, I like this guy. <laughs> <laughs> so my, my next question is from Anna. So Anna, yeah. Anna works in our office. Um, she's basically, so I've started training her and she wants to develop her glutes, but doesn't want her legs to grow. Uh, what, what, what advice would you give her for that? Okay. So every time a female comes to see me and they said, you know, I want to have long, long muscle or you no, know, just toning and so on. I don't want to get big. I always ask them, does your mother looks like me? And m most of them <laughs> say No. <laughs> And then I say, well, then you're not genetically genetically uh, predisposed to be big. Okay, so that's very uh, good. I like that. Yeah. So to make them, so you have to sit them down and say, okay, what define to me what is big? Uh, because there's so many things that can happen. So I, I don't. I've never seen. I know. I'll see her probably next month, but. Uh, if she is, you know, does, what's her percentage body fat? Does she have, is she carrying fat? Down? You don't have to tell me, but uh, <laughs> I don't want to get in trouble with Anna. Uh, no, she but, wouldn't uh, mind. She wouldn't mind. Yeah. She, she's 14%. And she's okay. That's, okay. That's pretty lean. So what's wrong with a bit of mass? Okay. And I say a bit, it's a bit like she's not going to grow three inches around the legs. Well, but, for, for her, she, uh, she doesn't mind. She actually wants the mass, but she wants it behind her. When I say that, the way she explained it to me was she wants to walk through the door and her bum to come in three minutes later. Okay. So, <laughs> again, that, a lot of it is genetic. So, uh, you have to look at her without being uh, uh, disrespectful, <laughs> disrespectful. Look at her mom. <laughs> And their dad and say, okay, so is there, a, is there a potential and how much of a potential is there? Now, in most cases, if you're going to activate your glutes, your legs will have to do some work. So it's really hard to activate your glutes without having some sort of a hamstring and quad involvement. Uh, just especially if you do a compound movement. So, you know, a good exercise, for example, to develop glutes is lunges. Well, if you don't do your lunges... Uh, if you don't bend your knee, it's going to be hard to do a, a lunge. Would you so, do a, a broader lunge then rather than a short one? Yeah, you could. Yeah. In that case, yes, for sure. Yeah. But then, yeah, I'll just leave it there. Yeah. Yes. Because the, the, the less the, the knee bends, I guess the less quad activation you're going to be getting. Yeah. And the, the hamstring will also have a bit more, well, yeah, the hamstring will also activate a bit less, a tiny bit less. So, but for sure, the quad will be a bit less also. Yeah. Okay. But uh, again, it's not. You have the rectus femoris that's going to be uh, activating. So, um, yeah. So just 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 be realistic with a. <laughs> yeah, no, but I mean, it's really. Uh, it's 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 not. It's like it's not like a bicep, you know. The glutes does extension of the hip, so it's a that's a compound movement in most cases. I mean, you can do Romanian deadlift, but after a while, 
you'll have you you you're gonna you won't have the the training return, the effect of of training because it's you're gonna adapt to your Romanian deadlift and even good mornings you'll do okay you know but uh, yeah. it really limits again your variation. You, yeah so you you need variation and I mean you can do you know again you, you do your just your Romanian deadlift deadlift your good mornings and uh, some back extensions and it will affect and you can see how much of a increase you have in your uh, gluteus uh, hypertrophy and then but it's going to stagnate at one point and then when you get there then you'll have to do some lunges and some other just like full squats and stuff like that uh, yeah. deadlifts so there, there's going to be periods of time where you might do some good work yeah just to break it up yeah Again, it, it would be surprising. Again, also, you know, the glutes might gain a lot more mass compare, in comparison to her quad and hamstring. So, yeah. Uh, so, so far, I've just basically changed her squatting technique, so it's a bit more uh, of a low bar, hip dominant squat. Yeah. Um, and just got to really focusing on activation because it's very hard to grow a muscle you can't actually activate or flex. Yeah. Yeah, it's true. So, um, but you're right with having a lower bar on the back. Uh, that's good. And then you know, like I said, if you do some uh, um, standing good mornings or Romanian deadlift, will help also. Yeah. But even that, there's so much, so many other muscles involved. So, um, for for example, with the Romanian deadlifts, a lot of people, it's more of a hamstring. Like the hamstring has a huge part in it, more than the glutes for either inhibition and stuff like that. So you really have to make sure that the f- glutes fire properly. Yeah, and that that had come down to a lot of the time, yes, biomechanics, but also being able to activate that muscle. Yeah, yeah, totally. So I've got a question here from Anit. Uh, his question is, uh, we tend to know as trainers why we make changes to our programs um, or why they've been made, but as a coach, how do you know what those changes should be? It's a very broad question. Is there? A- okay. So, what's the difference between a trainer and a coach? Are you Is it a personal me? trainer? Uh, yeah, I'm asking. Uh, he says because as so, repeat the question. So basically, um, when we make changes to our programs, he's mm-hmm. basically saying that when, when you make a change, what what do you look for? Uh, to make that change to someone's program, like I, I oh. guess, I guess, how would you periodize your your programming? Like, what what kind of indicators do you look for that? Oh, this this program will be good for this person. Oh, yeah, yeah, that's a that's a that's not a simple question to answer. <laughs> There's a lot of factor, uh, but if you want to keep it simple, um, I try to pick. Uh, training systems and exercise that will challenge the body. Like, yeah. sh- uh, sh- like uh, uh, yeah, it's a difficult answer. Do you have uh, go- go-to systems that you tend to use for for different? Um, I guess different. Training? Yeah, I used to. I used to have that, but that changed a lot since. Uh, like, uh, you know, when I was teaching in, in uh, when I was teaching in your class there that. What happens with the years, I realized that uh, what I do to sh- – um, my go-to programs will be the programs you've done the least. That would be the simplest way to answer that question. 
So for you, if you come and see me, uh, to create a, a shocking effect for you, I would say, send me what you've done last six months. And then I'll write something that you've never, never done before. And you'll say, holy crap, this is like, I'm basically, I'm getting a big secret here, but, um, it's not really a secret, but then you have to know what the trick with this though is to know, okay, so I, I got to shock him, but to what extreme and what system is going to be the best to shock him for that. So that's the, that's the, the art. So you have the science, which is shock the system and the art of coaching, which or running program, which is okay. Well now, which system am I going to use my go-to system to answer your question in the past? So if you would have met me uh, before 1998, I would have said, Oh, so for uh, strength, the goal system to shock, the goal system would be one six, uh, for hypertrophy, six to all 25, uh, and then some triple drops, uh, functional hypertrophy, just a normal, uh, uh, pyramid. Those are my system. Yeah. It worked. It worked really well. Um, I had really good results, but now I, I have even, especially for advanced training, people that have trained for many years, I've different system to use now that are that are again depending on them what they've done so there's not there's no go-to system uh, that i'll use really well uh i'll do the my my erdna system one that one i like to use a lot actually uh, to be honest and if you want to know what it is then you have to come to my courses (laughs) 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 I, uh, i highly recommend andre's course so yeah, thank you. Pleasure. Yeah. Uh, what what program systems have you had the best success um, with? Like, so we spoke about hypertrophy and um, relative strength and, and functional hypertrophy. What what would be fat loss? Uh, you want in the past or now? Both. <laughs> okay. Uh, in the past would be uh, GBC for sure. German body comp. Uh, and now I like to use during body comp, a bit of a modification, but, uh, it's, it's going to be, I will couple it with, uh, modified strongman training. It, there's a, I'm not trying to sell my courses, but there's a, another course I call it's modulation of energy system and relative strength for optimal body composition. It's a one day course, but I talk about how I use, uh, energy system training, uh, uh, sorry, energy system principles, sorry, with using resistance training. So it's like, uh, would be uh, almost like using uh, modified strongman training, but instead of using reps and stuff, it's all timed. And uh, I like to use that for weight loss with the German body comp. So I, 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 I work both different system in a manner that creates more, uh, a better weight loss uh, because that way they're not limited to the amount of reps. They're, they're limited to the time so they can work as hard as they yeah. can. With, but always, always, always with proper technique or a minimum. There's a minimum of technique I want to see. Like they cannot break down. I don't want to – well, I was going to say something here. But there's another – there's this very popular system out there <laughs> that sometimes is applied really, really well. Like CrossFit I think is a good system. But the bad thing about CrossFit is that is the instructors are not always uh, as um, 
knowledgeable as you wish they could be. Some guys, they do a marvelous job with CrossFit. Like they do unbelievably well because they know what they're doing, you know. Um, but so for me, it would be a somewhere like something in the same line of thought. But uh, again, me, the technique is very important. So again, just to save people from having uh, injuries. Yeah. To improve, to improve and be the best coach po- possible, what courses or resources would you recommend? Besides, I know that you're coming to Enterprise for the Wolfpack program. Yeah. What, well, what, for sure, what, that would be one of the best ones. Absolutely. <laughs> so let, let's call that number one. Um, yeah. What, what other uh, two resources would you recommend or courses? Maybe one for, for nutrition and one for um, any, another topic that you might want to cover. Okay, in a general uh, thing, I know some people don't like that, but I think it gives a good base. It's precision, precision nutrition. I think is a good, a good something to a good base to have um, for nutrition, for strength training. Um, oh, hold on, pardon, pardon me. Oh yeah, Dr. Brian Walsh actually, metabolic fitness. That's a good one also. Very, very good, that one. So um, what's their specialty? Metabolic fitness? Me? What's the specialty of metabolic fitness? Well, I think it's, it's just, again, understanding nutrition to a deeper level. Okay, it's, so it's their nutrition base. Overall, overall nutrition course, but it's, it's a bit more comprehensive if you want. Like, it's really well explained and it's, it's well done. Susan, my wife, took it and it's... Uh, actually, uh, I should. That would probably be number one. Actually, um, and then um, for courses, there's a few good ones out there. But oh, for the, the things for me, I think once you have your your basic course, I I tend to tell people go see uh, uh, go do internships with coaches like there's a few coaches that i really respect because it, the reason once you have your basic courses or even if you don't if, if you go see these guys they'll give you a good basic and they, they give you a different perspective of of training so it's a bit different than mine a bit different than charles a bit so there's guys that i like like for example uh john connor owen lacy from the uh, uh irish strength institute i think they they give some good Really, really good courses on strength training, nutrition also. Um, there's Tom Crudgington in uh, Bath, England. I really love it. He has a really good approach on training. It's different different than most people. But I think it, if you can take his system or his way of training people and you can marry it with what you do, it's, it makes your, your product even that much better. There's uh, Ben Prentice in the States, Preston Green. Um, I really like their way of, of approaching things. Like Ben Prentice, especially for a business aspect of it, I think he's unbelievable. Uh, he is so successful with it, what he does that it's, uh, it's something you, you, know, you want to you wanna adopt in your business, I think. Uh, Preston Green, I think he's really good on a whole bunch of different aspects. He's in the States also, and I, he's changing university a, a quite a bit, and I'm not sure which one he's at now, 
But if you Google Preston Green, you'll know where he is. Um, he uh, is really, really good with uh, training teams and, again, using system to train teams and, for example, basketball. So basketball players, we all know they're tall, so he's got some some uh, good um, uh, approach to training people with really long limbs. Uh, another guy I like in, in your country is uh, Dieter Roylance. I think he's he's got some good, uh, really good approach to coaching too. Yeah, he specializes in in Olympic swimmers, doesn't he? Well, for a while, but he's been doing now. He actually he was training this uh, snowboarder from Australia that did really well in, in Canada. Anyway, he was doing really well in the circuit. Uh, he's got he's able. To, what I like with Dieter is he took his expertise with snow uh, with swimmers and was able to apply it and and trans. You know, uh, translate it to a whole bunch of different, um, of uh, different, uh, uh, you know, use in his gym with general population or different sport also. Like he's the only guy I used to tell in classes, uh, you'll never see a, a shredded swimmer. And I remember he was in the class. He goes, yeah, yeah, you can. So no, you can. He goes, yeah, I'll tell you, my my swimmers are are ripped. Like, well, I like to see pictures, and sure enough, he proved me wrong. Like he, so the whole supplementation nutrition, I think Dieter is really, really good at it also. Um, obviously, Mark, uh, your guys are really good with, uh, I think you guys really focus our, uh, our expert in competitors and, uh, yeah, competitors, which is, yeah, you see, so for me, that's really, that's something I struggle with. <laughs> So, uh, because I, I'm more with uh, hyper, like, not that you guys are not high performance, but you train like a high performance athlete, but you don't do uh, uh, performance on the, on, the, on the field where either there's, con- you can't, it's, it's a non, you do a non-contact sport. <laughs> uh, <laughs> That's a good way to put it. Non-contact anyway, it might be some contact in the back, in the backstage, but, <laughs> <laughs> you know, contact. So for me, it's more a, a, a athletic performance. So I'm really good at, uh, where for you guys like posing and stuff like that, I'm really, I'm not an expert at all. And I have no problem. I know I have no problem admitting it. Like if I, I've had in the past a few, uh, um, clients that were competing in figures and stuff like that, but and I did good. But again, I had to I had to do a lot of call phone calls and ask people that I respect. And uh, that's before I knew Mark. Uh, I respect in the industry that I would say, okay, what do you do with this? What do you do? So I, I had it was a really big uh, learning process for me. Uh, what was it again? You asked for nutrition and coaching, yeah. Yeah, and uh, program design. Uh, program design uh, for sure, John Connor. I this guy really impressed me with his uh, his knowledge of designing program. Obviously, Owen Lacey also. Well, there you have Charles Poliquin, but uh, I, you know those are obvious people. Um, um, there's a few guys out there like. Uh, even John Meadows, like I said, I I saw what he was doing uh, at the Swiss seminar, and I was really impressed with his the way he designed his program. As so, if anybody can take, a, I don't know if he does internship or uh, mentorship, but uh, for sure the way uh, the way he was talking at the at the seminar, he's open to it, and I think he's uh, really good at making his programs. I like his approach, and and uh, that's something to look at. I know I'll look into it more when I have time. 
which I don't know when that, that's going to be. But when I have time, I'd like to sit down with him for sure and ask him, you know, ask him questions on how what he bases programs on and so on. Yeah, I actually did a podcast with him as my first podcast. He's oh. very, very down to earth. Yeah, love the guy. He's really, I really, really like him. Uh, so uh, I'm hopefully I'll be able to. I'm trying to bring him here in Canada. And, and his, uh, his body speaks for itself. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah, exactly. It's like, you know, he really, you know, walked the talk for sure. Um, Where would you say that you go to find your uh, information to further your knowledge? Do you have certain websites that you check on a regular basis or anything like that? Now I go – well, I mean, I always have Charles. but And then nothing against Charles, but for me, I've, I've – I've uh, communicated with him so much that sometimes, like what he says, it's it's not that it's nothing new for me. There's always some really great information, but I, in the last maybe 15 years, I tried to go outside of that just to expand my, uh, you know, get different uh, view on the same uh, same uh, business, you know. Yeah, find a, a different way to skin the cat. <laughs> yeah. So for research. I'll go now. Well, I've been having his name is Matt Jordan. He's at the he was at the University of Calgary here in Canada, and now he's at Windsport. It's a huge facility we have here. And uh, he, this guy, as far as research, he's top notch. Anything about knee rehab, knee health, knee training, I call him all the time. Uh, he's a and he's the thing is I used to mentor him a bit in the past. He was used to be a speed skater, and um, he grew. I you know he knows Charles and stuff, but he really took his knowledge that he learned from me, myself, and Charles, and developed his own uh, world or his own uh, beliefs in training. And he has he's doing his PhD right now. So Matt Jordan is something that actually, if you guys are interested in uh, anything about me, uh, he's the guy to go to. Uh, so he's at, like I said, he's at, you can Google him. You'll see his name. You can contact him through that. Um, and for supplementation, who would you recommend? Oh, uh, right now my three top guys are not necessarily in that order, but uh, Christian Maurice is, I love talking to the guy. He's so, his applied knowledge is unbelievable. And he's one of the guy. He's the only guy that I know of. Okay, I don't want to take anything away from other people, but that I know of that was able to take the bio signature or the bio print and really create a system with it that really works well. And um, like I really respect his knowledge. I think he's one of the. He's. I, I love talking to the guy and exchange uh, 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 d- d- discussion with him for sure. Uh, Owen Lacey. From ISI again, and uh, Dr. Eric Serrano. I think Dr. Eric Serrano is like I've met him finally uh, in last summer, and uh, man, his his knowledge is fantastic, and the way he delivers it in the in the class is awesome. <laughs> I don't know if you ever heard him talk, but he's uh, there's some um, there's a, a video of him at, that they recorded at the Swiss seminar. And this summer in Toronto, so uh, you can. That's also on YouTube, so you can. Uh, Doctor Serrano, you can listen to him. He's uh, very. I respect the man. He's very knowledgeable, and I was fortunate enough that uh, 
I'll be actually teaching with him. He's going to be helping me with my hypertrophy academy that I'll be teaching in uh, Gainesville, Georgia, on March 21st, 22nd, 23rd. And uh, I know I sound like I'm selling the course, but I am. Uh, but he's, just because it's going to be probably one of the best hypertrophy academy I'll ever do, I think. Uh, because he's going to be there talking about nutrition and supplementation. And he's like, I'm really, really fortunate to have him because he's so busy. And uh, anybody, like, it would be worth the travel. Like, it's, he's, he's fantastic. And I'm also fantastic, so both of us together are going to be great. <laughs> Sorry. I'm joking. Somehow, somewhat. Uh, but those three guys are probably my top three guys. Again, I, I, you know, I always, uh, Charles was always my mentor, and I, I respect him tremendously. And I take it, for him, he's a shoe-in as far as uh, his knowledge is unbelievable. But again, I, like I said, I'm trying to get outside of that a little bit. But um, uh, who else in nutrition? My wife. <laughs> <laughs> and and you, you also, um, do you still refer your clients out to Dan Garner, is it? Yeah. Well, well to be honest lately, no. <laughs> uh, Dan's good is doing his own stuff, uh, which is great. I think he's doing really well. But uh Right now, I, I've recruited other people to help me out, and it's good working with Like, for example, the nutrition guy I, I have access to is uh, Christian Maurice right now. So, And again, not to take anything away from Dan, but Christian is, is uh, a class of his own. Like, he's uh, above uh, a few people. So, um, um, yeah. So, uh, yeah. <laughs> All right. Let's move on. Um, yeah. So you're a big fan of teaching people how to move, then teaching them how to train, and then basically finally training them hard. Can you elaborate on this? This is a, a method, that, a methodology that you've come up with, I think. Or well, I, I, don't know I heard I, it from you. Yeah, I don't know if I came. I I'm really cautious in, in saying that I anybody right now come up with anything because the fitness industry has been out there so many years that um, I, I'm not saying I, I'm promoting, I'm, uh, I came up with it, but I, I'm definitely promoting it really, really hard. Um, and that came up from talking to different people like uh, Ishvan Bali, who's a strength coach, used to be a strength coach for the Alpine ski team years ago with Charles, actually. And then uh, him and Richard Way, they developed this uh, long-term development um, program in Canada that takes, you know, we take, they take kids from toddler almost and then bring them up all the way to uh, adulthood and what would be the... So from them, you, I've learned many, many things. Uh, also from uh, Kevin Darby, uh, how he... Re Kevin Darby really made me more aware of, you know, when you do a bicep curl, it's not really a bicep curl, it's, it's a movement. So there's, there's so many muscle involved <clears throat> Sorry, doing a bicep curl to stabilize your shoulders, stabilize your wrist, and bending your elbow. You know, so um, so it's a movement. So you, I'm really strong. And like a few years ago, I it came up, it came really obvious to me. How do you want to load a squat if you don't know how to squat? So uh, and this came up. Like I've had people. And I won't name any names, but in the past that they were, you know, testing camp, they had to do, people had to do squats. 
well, and then they had newcomers, they had new coaches who squat, and they would load the bar like crazy, which was horrible. And I, I was thinking, this is not, something not right here. Like, this is, there's no way this can be happening. So I'm really, really, like you said, a big uh, believer in learning the movement. Then you add resistance to the movement, and then you, uh, you load it to proper RM. So, uh, yes, I, I guess I'm, I don't want to say I... I I developed it, but I, I'm definitely a big uh, promoter of it. Yeah. So my, after my boss uh, and owner of Enterprise Fitness started working with you, uh, and he also he always talks about the fact that you got him to do split squats for his <coughs> mobility for so long, and he, his squats are uh, impeccable now. So, yeah. so you, can you just touch on uh, why split squats are so beneficial? Well, it's because the the split squats will allow you and really facilitate <clears throat> strengthening the whatever leg is in front, and it stretches to some extent the leg that's behind you. So if you have any issue with hip flexors, uh, adductors, like they're tight hip flexors, tight adductors, tight external rotators of the hip, uh, the split squats will take care of so many different issues if it's done properly. That it is, it is a, the go-to exercise for the lower body. If you have any type of uh, normal structural imbalance um, or uh, mus- muscle, uh, you know, different muscle strength from left to right. So uh, any discrepancy between your right leg to your left leg and even discrepancy between your agonist and antagonist. So unilateral work is always better to address any of those situations and the split squats is going to be, uh, like I said, probably one of the exercises I use the most to solve, I would say, about 80 to 90% of the issues of lower body. Again, it has to be done properly. And uh, I find that a lot of people, they rely or they their go-to exercise is a squat. <clears throat> but the squat is not the end-all, be-all of everything. Um, if you do too many squats... You will get tight in some areas, uh, and then this will affect you in your performance or in everyday life and so on in a different manner. So that's why you have to create some variation. Once you do the split squats, then every, it, it uh, promotes that much more uh, unilateral strength, if you want, and also uh, flexibility. What, what, so you go deeper. So. What kind of a rep range uh, and tempo would you start people off on? And then progress them. Uh, well, now I've learned my lesson, but they will be anywhere from four four reps to twelve for beginners. If they do four reps, it will be more than likely a slow eccentric and concentric tempo. So it will be a three zero three or a four zero four. And the reason why is that I like doing slow tempo like that for a split squat with beginners because it gives them time. They hate it because it's not easy at all, but it gives them time to learn the movement. And then it gives me time to correct them as they move. So if your tempo is a 4-0-4-0, it gives me eight seconds per legs, per reps, to correct things. Instead of doing, if you do a 3-0-1-0, it's only four seconds. Sometimes it's too short. 
So with beginner, like people who don't know the, they don't understand the movement, they've they never done it properly. It's I love to go back on a on a very slow, concentric and uh, uh, tempo. Yeah. So if if someone was having a hard time learning with a, a very basic tempo like a a four oh one oh, and they're still not getting the movement and not listening to you, just give them a four four zero four zero just so you can spend a bit more time with them. Yeah, and it's the brain can 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 um it's more difficult for the brain to cheat if you go quick because most people if you say okay do a three zero three zero well they'll go down in a one second or two seconds and back up in in a you know in one second so that's why if you go four they go then also in four they go four oh okay, that's long so then they it seems like they it's it's setting their brain up for doing a proper uh, movement yeah and Dep- then you're there to correct them right? depending depending on the client i've found that sometimes programming that extra second makes a big difference like uh, say for example when you're doing a, a rowing movement pausing at the at the end position i found yeah. that if you give them a one second pause there it becomes a zero they don't really pause at all but if you give them yeah. a two second pause they will pause <clears throat> yeah so for example with the rowing it's a really good example uh, reese is that i will use um like in the past, people that I would have a, a, some a mild back issue, I would use a rowing to rehab that or address the issue. So I would do a, uh, it would be a two, um, sorry, two zero one three tempo. So when they have a pause of three seconds by the hips or the belly button, you can re- you can actually physically take their shoulders going, hey, shoulders back. So you can take the shoulders back and you can move them in proper position on their paws. So I use that a lot more now than I used to for sure in the past. Like um, uh, the big, like I would say now since 2003, I've been using that type of pause and slow tempo. Again, this is for people that uh, are general population. You can do the same thing with high performance athlete, but if they have to compete, if you only have four weeks, to do slow tempo concentric is not recommended at all. That's not the best way to to help them out. Uh, but if you, if you have a high performance athlete, you have 16 weeks with them. Then the first few, the first four weeks, you can do whatever you want with them. It will uh, it will not affect their performance. But I like to do those slow tempo for sure. Yeah. Yeah. And, and pauses. So on the back extension, for example, that's another one. I do a back extension. Now I love using a four seconds, six seconds, eight second pause at the top. And for how many reps would that be? Pardon me? How many reps would you do if, say, they were doing an eight second hold at the top? Oh, you do maybe four to six. That's it. Okay. Well, with eight seconds at the top, I would probably four would be probably a good one because you have to understand that there – and again – See, this is where you get in the people will go and have someone who's uh, overweight. He's got a big belly and they'll give him eight seconds pause. You cannot <laughs> do that. That's the thing. You have to be careful with that. You, you know, you, that's why you have to use a 45 degree angle or maybe a 60 degree angle back extension instead of a flat. So you have to be careful with people out there. So don't give eight second pause with someone who's got a huge beer belly. Yeah. Because that's a lot of resistance to hold up for eight seconds. <laughs> <clears throat> just so you know yeah so yeah so I, I, again there's a science of training and the 
the art or the no, the practical knowledge of training. So, and some people forget about the 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 ability to apply it, and they just yeah. assume. Exactly. So, what's one thing that you would say separates champions from everyone else? As athlete, you mean, or as a coach, champion coach, or champion athlete? Let's go champion athlete. Athlete, uh, I would say dedication and commitment, and um, the psychological profile, like the belief that you can that you you can do it. Uh, that's the biggest. Once you get to the Olympics, the one thing I notice, and you notice, I even my first Olympics, even though it was a big freaking circus, as far as there's so many things happening, that you notice that at the end of the day, it's everybody there were pretty much equal. It's just your psychological profile or approach or whatever you want, development, whatever you want to call it, or strength, that is a difference. Like you'll see people that are there, they're strong. They have the talent, but they're not as driven. So those are what we call the Olymp- uh, jacket, Olympic jacket guys. They, have, they want to have the jacket, but they don't necessarily want to be the top in the world. Um, and then you'll see the guys that are driven. They, they believe they can win the gold, and they will or they'll do everything to win it. And if they don't, it's because it's not because they didn't try. It's because something happened that uh, that day was not their day. Um, but the, the again, it goes back to the belief, to believe that, yes, you know what? I can be the top in the world. Yeah. It's, it's, a, huge, it's a huge difference. It's the first step, that's for sure. Yeah, and that attitude is also in the gym. Like, uh, if you look in the gym, people that... Do the little bit, a little bit extra. You know, they say, "Fuck this! I, can't, I you know there's no way I can." They'll, they'll turn around. They say, "No, no, no! I can't do it. I'll, I'll do it. I'll do it." So they, they might have a bit of a doubt, but right away they'll, within maybe ten seconds in their rest, they'll say, "No, no! You know what? Fuck this! Sorry about the effort, but they'll, they'll say, screw this! I'll do this, and I'm gonna, I'm gonna do it if it kills me." And then uh, most of the time it doesn't kill them, and they do, they do better. Like uh, you know. <clears throat> when I was in eighty uh, in eighty six, I realized I really had a good chance of making the Olympics and doing really well. And uh, like I stopped working, I had good I had a good mo- amount of money in the, in the bank because I was supposed to be a pilot. So I saved up a lot of money in my, uh, you know when I was younger, and then uh, I had fifteen thousand dollars left. And I said, you know what, I'm not going to work. I'm going to focus on training and recovery i'm going to do everything i can and that's what i did i ended up with zero money in my bank account but i was in the olympics and i did this in four years which is pretty rare uh usually it's an eight-year cycle but me i I mean for different reasons i had a really good sport background i did judo which i think was probably one of the best thing i've ever done in my life judo and gymnastic and I cycled across Canada in 1982 on my bike pedal, and then that was three, four thousand two hundred some kilometers. And uh, so the determination in my head was there, and I, I gave everything because I didn't want to be at the miss, not making the Olympics and going back and saying, fuck, you know, if I would have done this, I would have, I would have 
I would have been good. So by giving everything I had, I knew that if I did not make it, it's not because I did not give everything I had. It's because somebody else out there was better than me. And I had no, I, I didn't want to have any regrets. So I gave, and that's what you see with people that are champions. They'll give everything they got because they believe they can and they will give their 100% as much as they can. I hope that answered your question. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, that, that's a very good answer. <laughs> so thank you for coming on the show, Andre. It's coming, up to, it's coming up to an hour and a half, so we've definitely covered some massive content. How can the listeners best follow you to keep your wisdom coming their way? Uh, well, they can come to my courses. That would be a great thing. They, that's when I can explain things way better and give uh, proper knowledge. Other than that, Facebook, I'm becoming better at it. Uh, they can go to my Facebook page, and then they'll see the videos. I, I try to do now once a week, just a little capsule, a video of uh, an exercise or something that I think people can benefit from. There's also my website, www.ccscalgary.com. Uh, and uh, there's also some information there, especially on courses, and uh, I'll be putting more videos now of exercise on on my website, Um, and I'm slowly, slowly, very slowly going into Instagram, but mainly it's going to be Facebook. So you've started on Instagram now? Well, my wife's (laughs) trying to get me into it. I'm really bad at it. I'm I'm 53 years old, and... A bit. Of, I know it's not a good excuse, but I'm um, I, I'm having difficulty with all this the social networking stuff. Uh, but I'll try to. I'm focusing more on. I'm like I'm liking more and more Facebook now. Like I'm understanding it a bit more, and um, I'm enjoying it a bit more. So I'll I'll, uh, I'll do more. I'll focus on Facebook and I'll go Instagram slowly. <laughs> What I found with Instagram is you can actually transfer a lot of the content onto Facebook straight away. But the only problem is when you do a video, they only allow you like 15 seconds at most. Yeah, and to me, I'm really, really bad at keeping it that short. Like I'm extremely bad. I need to talk and explain things. I'm old-fashioned, sorry. It's a, it's, a good, it's a good quality to have. Yeah, so I'll go with Facebook now and uh, that will probably be the best, best way for me, for people to get a hold of me and so on so thank you as always for listening i highly recommend andre's courses having experienced his hypertrophy academy myself i personally put on 3.6 kilos over the four-day period with basic supplementation and nutrition oh and of course andre's cheeky wit of good warm-up set when you think you've done your first working set check out our website for more information at melbournepersonaltrainers.com or on our hotline, 1300-887-143. Remember to subscribe by downloading the Eatwaiter Abs ebook, which is full of information to keep your knowledge thirsty brains growing.